0: I'm just wondering how this is going to start. Let alone know where it's going to end, all right. How are you? How's it going? (laughs) Funny question. How's it going, sitting at this threshold that we're invited to as human beings? This threshold of being here at what seems like some place between inner and outer, with all this inner world that we start to see more and more clearly as we sit with our own mind this outer world that's so abundant and full and full of mystery and beauty and horror at times. It's quite a proposition, isn't it, being human? Mary Oliver says at the end of one of her poems she says and what will you do with this one wild and precious life? Are you doing it right now? Because we might recognize that it's wild and precious on one level it may terrify us at another level we've tried to be in our life, but it's not always satisfying. It doesn't always hit the spot of what we know to be true about us and what is possible at this place where we sit here in this seat, apparently separate, apparently alone, apparently solitary, in this interaction with the whole that we see around us. And so we come to practice to understand the mind's place in that the way the mind keeps kind of getting snagged. It's a nice word, isn't it, in, in English? It gets snagged, you know, it gets kind of like um, stockings on a barbed wire. It gets kind of, ooh, We get snagged, we get caught at various points that the mind throws up that seem to us to get in the way of being able to express and breathe and just be at home in this totality. And it looks, you know, when you read the Guy House brochure and look at the nice pictures and awaken the boundless heart all sounds very lovely and then we come we're with with ourselves right that's what we get this is our curriculum this is our grist for the mill right this one who appears on this seat this body not another one this heart this head It's such a sincere undertaking, and Ruth and I are really touched by the sincerity that we can feel in the room and that we've encountered as we're beginning to meet you more. It's the sincerity of the heart that I think fits at this place. You know, Ruth read this lovely piece from James Baldwin yesterday. He says, Love takes off the masks we feel we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. Right. Love takes off the masks we feel we cannot live without. We feel we can't live without that, and we know we can't live within it. We're kind of between a rock and a hard place, right? And that's what we encounter here. We sit with our own heart and mind, and we encounter our personality. We encounter our conditioning. We encounter the ways that we've learnt to see ourselves that may be a a reflection of the ways we have been seen by our caregivers, our families, culture, schools, institutions, media, the world. And we have this kind of, we have a personality, right? It's who we think we are when we haven't stopped enough yet We haven't trained the mind to stop. We think we're the nearest thing that we hear in our mind, which seems to be all the stories that we tell me, I tell me about me. What stories do you tell you about you? (laughs) Have you heard any? (laughs) You probably heard a few yesterday and today. And the stories we tell about the other. We could say that our personality, and I'm using it here to mean the conditioning, the conditioned personality, who we've taken ourselves to be, the person of our history, that we developed that, um, it's like a kind of like a scaffold almost to manage, to manage this junction between inner and outer. That's what it's for. As a little one, we, we, we need to survive. Right? And we would like approval and love. We need it. And we do our best, we manage our best to go, okay, what do I do with this kind of response that's coming this way? What do I, how do I avoid too much of that coming my way? How do I try and get what I think I need to come my way? This is some of the conditioning of this life and uh, we start to take on the scaffolding and it builds a little bit and somewhere, maybe in our teenage years or a little later, it's, that's who it feels like I am. And as we sit, we encounter some of the scaffolds which has kind of been our support until now. If we're interested in the spiritual life, our refuge, our support, what we can lean on, we're asked to place that refuge in, in this tradition, in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. But something that is beyond the person of our history. We include that. That can be digested. That can be healed. That can be worked with. That, when it is Allowed to metabolize its riches can actually be uh, recovered. But the scaffold itself confuses us. Ruth and I, we were in London the other day and um, she did a small, uh, an evening uh, teaching offering with London Insight. And we went to eat afterwards and there was a sweet couple with their little baby and I think he was about 10 months old maybe and he was in his pushchair and they were eating their dinner and they're very sweetened and this little 10 month old is looking up at Ruth you Now that 10 month old so they're not a little tiny baby anymore and they're not walking some do but not always at 10 months he's just got that, it's that curiosity phase that we have right, there's that, that engagement with the world, which is a little bit more uh, unhindered, right? We're curious about each other, aren't, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, wow, who, who's that? Who's that? What, what's your life? And he wouldn't have had those words, right? He's just in that, what is that? He's looking and it's that, you know how a curious little one looks. And his dear mother said to us, Sorry. He's just being nosy. Stop being nosy. And I think our hearts broke a little bit. She wasn't horrible. She learned that. And there's much more harder ones than that, right? It's not just our curiosity that gets dampened, our love, our naturalness, the spontaneity. Yeah we have to learn how to handle these qualities, absolutely. But if we take that message to be true, then we'll never get curious about our practice. Somewhere inside we'll be saying, don't be nosy. You know, it's we've lost the instinct to get curious, to kinda of look in the face of the flower out there or or those ones that you got to witness today. The Sangha sibling as we did the exercise, just to kinda of look. So when we come to sit, we will encounter what has been up until now, for many of us, all, there's different degrees that we've been working with this, all of us, but what has been in the untrained mind, it's been the reference point. It's been the reference point to know who I am, where I am, if I'm alright, if I'm not alright, am I good, am I bad, am I lovable, am I... And we use our personality for the reference. No, you're not. You've got to try harder at this. You've got to work a bit more at that. Stop being nosy. Get on with it. Get on your cushion. This is the hard, this is the pushing one, right? What, what, what ones have you got? <laughs> Which ones have you got? Oh, if you just tried a bit harder, you'd... Or the way that we um, turn on ourselves, the judging of ourselves, using evidence or anything that arises almost as evidence of another failure, another thing we've done wrong, another not being good enough, another not worthy, another not, not okay to just be allowed to be in your push chair <laughs> and have a good old look. So we're learning to meet that scaffold, whatever ways, we start to hear it. We start to hear our own particular version, and some of you will have done a lot of work with this, right? our own particular version of our reference point for who I think I am. And it can also have all kinds of grandiose things in it, like, you know, I'm the best and I'm the. but that's not normally the issue. I heard recently that there was a t-shirt slogan competition and the t-shirt with the best slogan got voted. It was in the New York Times or something like that. And the slogan that got the most votes was something like, I have occasional delusions of adequacy. So we hope some more of those delusions will come our way, because if we're not referen- if I'm not referencing myself, looking for the re- looking for the reflections, like who am I? Oh, that's right, I'm Catherine, and I'm I've got this story. Yes, that's also that's not who I am. I wasn't born like that. I found in my a uh, box in my parents' attic. Some some years ago, um, my mum had kept a few things, like a few old birthday cards, and, and at the bottom of the pile, so there was all the birthday cards with the um, happy birthday, Catherine, love from Auntie Bessie, or whatever. You know, all those old birthday cards were there, and at the bottom of the pile, there was this piece of pink cardboard, and um, and I'd been, you know, rifling through my history in that box. Very interesting. Got to this piece of pink cardboard and it said, McGee, female, eight pounds, one ounce. Oh! (laughs) Even that was extra, wasn't it? (laughs) Even that was extra. Like at the bottom of the box, okay, so that's, right now I know who I am. I'm going to stick it up here. All right. You could sort of see the emptiness, not, not empty here in the sense that that doesn't really paint the picture. It doesn't paint the whole picture. It's like these little words in blue ink. But some of our work, or a lot of our practice, is seeing this structure bowing. To how it's got us thus far and as we're waking up that heart that longs to wake up to a truth that is more satisfying actually and real that hearts longing brings us to the cushion brings us to cultivate to keep coming back to Yeah, this breath. Okay. It brings us to this. And we start to cultivate, and as we steady, this light of our attention, this brightness that can get fragmented all over the place into frittering into all these thoughts and jumping and flickering, and it gathers, that brightness gathers. And then we can start to see a little bit more clearly what's going on. Oh, this is the bit, this is, this is the place where I keep, oh, this is the place where, oh, this is the place where I keep telling myself I'm wrong. Oh, I see that. I see that. What is it that sees that? the seeing, this bright seeing, we can start to rest back in this refuge. Oh, we can start to get the glimpse that if I can see this thing that arises, this thing that arises, because it arises, it also can pass. I rest in the seeing. I heard recently, actually I didn't know this till quite recently, that... Well, one thing I knew, the Buddha statues that we have every, everywhere, these in human form, these are, as some of you may know, um, they weren't there at the time of the Buddha, right? He didn't go, okay, let's make a statue of me. <laughs> uh, this come much later, I think five or six hundred years after the, this living Buddha from this uh, 2,600 years ago, modeled on Greek iconography, Right? as you can see, like Apollo or something. Um, and at the time, different things were, were represented and the footsteps that you see walking down the... That, I don't know if that was at the time, but that was an earlier image. You know, the trace that we leave on, in the world, our, our, our step. But I heard that um, of an earlier image before the mixing with the Greek iconography, the Greek modelling. <coughs> There's a statue... Uh, from the Gandhara, I'm imagining it somewhere in India, and it has the Bodhi tree. It's in relief. It's in bas relief. It has the Bodhi tree. Um, you know, the tree that the Buddha sat under for the awakening. <clears throat> There's the tree, and at the bottom of the tree, or in the you know, at the base of the tree, in the center of the tree, there isn't a human form. There's a sun, sunshine, a radiant sun. At the bottom of the tree the waking up this illuminating quality and Ruth spoke beautifully last night about the warming nature of that Sun it's also illuminating it illuminates what's here it illuminates and allows us to start discriminating what's true from what's false because we can get more and more of a sense of that somebody spoke today said oh, certain things that have been said or certain things that have happened in my practice these two days they ring should like somebody playing on a harp string it rings we get the sense of a kind of closer to the truth barometer and the heart sings when it hear it in ourselves or someone else expressing that something in us resonates And it's like, yeah, I'm being sung. So this illuminating quality can start to see what's here. And there's many things we can see, but I want to just say a little bit about the... seeing the illumination of the division the fragmentation, the the tearing ourselves into fragments, of dividing something that is whole into parts of parts that are not acceptable, parts that I should be, parts that I mustn't let anyone see, parts that I want to try and get and have everyone see. And the way we divide this whole and This is not in accord with the nature of things. Things are whole. But in our desperate search for security, the security, physical security, the security of trying to know who I am, we try and we take a fragment and we say, that's it. And we feel poor as a result. I feel poor when I do that. And the buddha spoke about the first truth of dukkha the first truth he woke up to the four noble truths <laughs> as that sunshine the sunshine got illuminated because it saw the four noble truths right the truth of dukkha the truth of disease the second truth of the truth of the cause for the disease and Ruth mentioned these last night, the third of the end of dis-ease and the fourth of the path. The first truth of dukkha, I just want to explore a little bit with you. Because our practice can be a place for healing the division, healing the dukkha, healing all the ways that we've gripped on to an idea about ourselves and the world. This is what can get healed, it can be restored to wholeness. That which sees the little fragment, the idea of... Somebody said something today about, yeah, I'm failing at this too. Right? Actually you can't. <laughs> you can't fail at this one. This one we can't. But we start to see the, the grip of the idea. That which sees the grip, can understand the grip, can start to welcome, soften, widen around the grip. This very one who's felt like she was not okay can be restored into wholeness, kind of restored to the nature of things. We can breathe out. And this is the healing aspect of the practice. It's one major piece of what can happen in our, on our cushion, in our walking, and in our lives as we learn to settle and handle the pieces, the fragments, the split off parts, the unwelcome parts. One way of understanding dukkha. Is that right? There's this predicament of showing up here as a human. <sighs> get born, get a little card that, if you're lucky, that says how much you weigh. And kind of launched in. Okay, managing all the responses and the causes and conditions that are part of our world, our family, our tribe, our c- culture. And if there's been difficult things in that, that has an impact. That too comes to the cushion and can be included. And we can see, so we have this predicament and we're there doing our best with it. Dukkha, we can say, is a fearful reaction to the fact of not knowing what to do about being here. There's a cartoon I like very much and I repeat very often of um, Calvin and Hobbes. It's a a North American cartoon and he's a little kid, about six, and he has a toy stuffed tiger that he plays with and he sometimes thinks it's real. And he's in the um, living room watching telly and his mum says, go outside and play and he goes, no Nick's caption, go outside and play no and then she's saying, go outside and play no and she gets him by the scruff of the neck and she pulls him out and opens the back door and plonk plonks him out there and he's looking terrified um, and, and she says why not and he looks up at the sky as he sits on the step and he goes it's too real It's too real. It's kind of real, isn't it? (laughs) This It's real. And even though the heart actually when we can relax with it loves what's real. When we hear it in another, we know it in ourselves. There's something about it's like, what do I do with this? Right? And in response to that, that's the grip. It's like, right, okay. There's the grip. There's the dukkha. There's the grasping, there's the clinging. Right, I'm okay, I'm one of these. Okay, that doesn't feel great either, but (laughs) what do I do about this? So something about being human is insecure. Someone very touchingly mentioned today said something like, I think I've spent the last three years chasing for security, not getting happy, and something in her was relaxing around that like it doesn't work yes it's okay to lock our door and you know have a bed and all of that it's about an inner posture with that and as Helen Keller is said to have said she said "Um, security is a myth it is not found in the world of nature Life is either a glorious adventure or it is nothing. And just watch your minds now. Anyone landing well mine's nothing then, isn't it? Right? Anyone just really watch the mind, so really see that. Yeah, well I've always been the nothing. Oh. Okay, can I see that? Okay, yeah, right. That's one of the stories. That's been one of the scaffolds. If a painful scaffold okay what happens if I see that breathe out with that life is either a glorious adventure or it is nothing so Ruth last night talked about the tolerance for the goodness the tolerance for the beauty the radiance that that resources us and it's true also resources us also for this path of healing it makes it a little bit easier to hang out in the insecurity. It's like, Ooh, can I tolerate this much? And, and you're doing it. It's not like you're going to do it later. You're doing it by being here, actually. Every time we come into the hall and sit, we're dipping our toes, dipping up to maybe a paddling or up to our waist in, actually, you know, what? I don't know what's going to happen on the cushion. That's the truth. Somebody today in the group said, um she was sensing something in her heart that felt hard and it was kind of moving up. Um, and I think she said, so forgive me if I don't get this accurate. Something like, oh, it's, it's hard here and, and it's not quite okay. And I think I said something like, what's not okay about it? She said, well, I don't know where it's going to go. you know, sometimes we get those feelings moving up and sometimes it's tears, sometimes it could be something else. I don't know where it's going to go. I said, yeah, that's it, isn't it? We don't know where it's going to go. We don't know where it's going to go. That is the... We don't know where this is going to go. But if we can start to steady the mind in that truth of the nature, which is constantly unfolding, unstoppably moving, I don't know where this is going to go, is also for a synonym for wow, this is dynamic, this is moving, this is changing, this is unstoppable, this nature wanting to unfold itself, the physical nature and the nature of what we are as a human being in this case. It's unstoppable, impermanence, the one of the faces of impermanence we looked at today was endings, right? We looked at death and dying. That's one end of the cycle that is actually dynamic. It's dynamic. It's it's life pulsing through us, life moving through us, unfolding. We deepen our tolerance for the goodness, the radiance, being able to tune to that which is lovely and beneficial and uplifting. And it makes a place for us to tolerate the truth of change and the truth of insecurity, the truth of dynamism, life's dynamic unfolding. And as our trust deepens in the path and the practice, and that can take time, we get a glimpse, it's like, oh, it's okay. Then that the woman in the group said, Oh, oh, okay, wow, it came up and a few tears were shed because that was it. That I didn't know where it was gonna go and I didn't want it to go where I thought it was gonna go, and I fear where it's gonna go. And all of that resistance actually, oh, it just went here. It's okay. Oh, in fact, that feels a bit better now. Right? So sometimes we're trying to halt the dynamism. Stop the dynamism. Put it back in a box. I don't want to be in this flow of nature. I don't know what might happen. I might do something really awful. That's also sometimes what we fear. I might do like all this anger that's here. If I don't keep it all in a box, I might go and do something terrible. But we deepen the faith with that too, the illumination of that. Oh yeah, this is anger. Okay, yeah. That which sees the anger is already awake, is already bright, is already home. maybe just to reflect on the ways you meet yourself when you find that you're stuck. Stuck is almost when we're trying to stop stop the world, I want to get off stop this inner world, I want to get off We start to recognize that our scaffold has been and the way we relate to the stuck places are often the ways we've been related to Maybe in our stuckness or suffering we were ignored. So we ignore ourselves. Maybe it was denied, you're not suffering. And so we do that on the cushion. This is, doesn't matter. Maybe we get busy. Right, we start feeling the dukkha, the, the the contraction on the cushion, and I get busy in my mind. It's hard to get busy here, isn't it? It's not too many options. So you have to get busy in your mind instead and start. I don't know, I saw all kinds of see all kinds of things in my mind. Getting busy on retreat, planning how I would decorate the meditation hall if you know, if they just gave me a little bit of blue would be nice, you know. And we start kind of getting busy around something. Okay, yeah, just sort of distractedness. Don't want to quite meet what's here. We might meet ourselves with, get over it. It's not that bad. Other people have got it much worse than you. Right? Now, reflecting on our shared nature of suffering, yes, and some people are having a really difficult time, but when it's used as a way to push our suffering away, right? Can you see the difference? Listen to how you talk to yourself blaming ourselves for it. If I was only doing it right, I wouldn't suffer. Anyone ever had that thought? As if suffering was somehow our fault. No. This is where we meet. This predicament is where we meet, where we go, ooh, what do I do about this? Right? That is universal. That is universal. The first noble truth is not your fault. Kind of easy when you put it like that, isn't it? The first noble truth is not your fault. So we can blame ourselves, make ourselves wrong, if I was only doing it right, trying harder being someone else, then I wouldn't suffer. No, that first dis-ease of... Can we come back to the phenomenology of it? This was where the Buddha was a genius, he didn't Go into metaphysics, or you know, he was right down here in the nuts and bolts of okay, this is dukkha, this is the contraction, hang out there. Can you breathe there? Can you name it there? Can you see what you're telling yourself there? Can you rest in that which is illuminating the dukkha? Can you widen? Can you soften? Can you come with your body to give room to that one who has believed she was so separate, so solid, so wrong, so whatever and she can be restored to wholeness. Breathing out, we widen back to our place in the web of things where we do pulsate along this, this junction of inner and outer, this place where we sit. What's not easy about it is that we do see that we're here with everything and everyone else. And the Buddhist talked about this as a primary uh, aspect Called it Anukampa, that we pulsate along with everything. Primal empathy with things. We feel, we're touched, we want to respond. But the truth is, we can also get scared. So in our healing work, we see our scaffold. We see the ways we're talking to ourselves. We're looking to that scaffold, it's an old scaffold. We're looking to it for guidance and it says, yes, you're bad, okay, I'm bad. Right, we're looking to that to tell us who we are. We're searching, the searching heart, again, is so human. But maybe we can listen deeper than the old stories. And we can see the one who's searching for home. There's a, um, really touches me every time I see this old Dr. Zeus story, you know, this, uh, I think he was from North America, this children's stories. And they're mostly pictures with very few words. And there's one that's called, Are You My Mother? And it's, um, a, I think it's a little chick. It's, remember we had the rabbit yesterday, the rabbit that got born and mum wasn't there. It's a primary instinct to search, isn't it? We don't have to be down on ourselves. It's, it's tender, it's beautiful. We're kind of searching, searching for the love, searching for the truth, searching. And in this story, the little chicklet that's lost Mama, he or she is walking around, and each page there's a different thing, and there's a tractor, and the little chick's looking up, going, "Are you my mother?" And on the next page there's another piece of machinery, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and other creatures, and at the end there's a big crane, you know, big mechanical crane with a big arm coming down, and, a, and it's like, "Are you my mother?" like we are wired to search but we keep searching and looking at this scaffold for the reflection can we feel the longing of the heart that is searching before it goes to the object before it goes to the reference yes they'll come up in the mind they're old references Can we rest into that longing, the solitude of that longing, the aloneness? It can feel so alone at times. The aloneness that is on the way to the true aloneness of the Buddha. He is called um, perfectly single. He, she, one who wakes up is perfectly single. They are right there in their aloneness because they know that's where they meet everyone, everything. That's our spot, that's our node, that's our junction in that great web of interconnection, the jewel right there where you sit, right there through that doorway of the aloneness where the healing can happen, the searching, the feeling, the longing underneath the searching, Holding that chick, that little chick, bathing that, feeling its softness, its little unfledged feathers at times. That's our doorway back home. So the clock is flashing, I think it must have working so for me for me it's two minutes past twelve right now. <laughs> yeah that's the other thing about the Dharma is is this this spot when we get a tolerance for the, the goodness, we get a tolerance for the insecurity, this spot is a is a timeless spot. You know, the other day I said the Buddha said to his monks and nuns, Ehi Pasiko, come see for yourself to be experienced by each one who wants to see. So it's an open invitation. And the, the words that go with the invitation are, is, come see the Dharma, it is timeless, here and now, inviting investigation, inviting nosiness, <laughs> right? inviting investigation, come and see for yourself. Here at this seat, through the courage, through the pain of believing we're the scaffold, through the heart's longing that knows, gosh, there must be something else. We listen out deeper. We get the taste of that. The faith deepens. And that's why we keep coming back. right, To restore more and more things to wholeness. Even those things I thought, no, not that. That surely doesn't belong in the totality, that part about me. Some point, that too, that too is restored. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.